Welcome to the Play Colors podcast, discussing current sports news and headlines behind the scenes of athletics and life after sports. We talk about the real stuff of the sports world and anything goes. Are you ready? Let me introduce former NFL coach, Coach Kirk Broussard, former CFL coach and pro coach, Coach Chris Williams, and me, Tracy Lynn. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and wherever you get your podcasts on all major platforms. Hey guys, welcome to the Play Callers podcast. How's it going? Coach Kirk Broussard, Coach Chris Williams, and myself, Tracy Lynn, we're here for another episode, and boy, do we have a loaded show, and we're live. So anything goes, guys. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Going, going good. Going good. Um, hey, happy Monday. Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yep. Happy Thanksgiving to our Canadian friends. Been, uh, I think I've had about oh, four dinners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking like a stuffed that. turkey these days. Yeah, well, don't worry. I'm here to remind you of things like this. Okay, right off the bat, let's get right into it. The Lakers. Yep, NBA champions. No doubt. We. I don't think I. Oh, I'm not surprised. How about you guys, uh, Coach Broussard? What are your thoughts? I'm definitely not surprised. Um, you know, the Lakers were a team that presented a lot of problem matchup problems for a lot of teams with their length, very long team. Very athletic team, a lot of experience, a lot of playoff experience. And, um, you know, AD had the performance of his life uh, throughout the playoffs. I mean, the man was unstoppable. I mean, hitting threes like Steph Curry for a minute. And so, I mean, he had an impressive performance. Uh, LeBron James is always steady, always, uh, always the rock, always the leader. And, um, you know, I think that puts him one step closer to, you know, that big argument that's going around online when a lot of teams or a lot of fans compare him to MJ. You know, I think that that's another notch on his belt. That's uh, that's a little bit, a little more ammunition for the argument table for him. And, um, you know, I just I, at this point, I put him in that class with Magic Johnson. You know, I think I think he's very comparable with his style to Magic as well as his accomplishments. I mean, obviously, it looks like he's going to play 20-plus years, mm-hmm. so he's going to crush everybody in stats. You know, But if you want to be mm-hmm. fair and you go back and compare his 15 years to MJ's 15 years, MJ has far more accolades. He has, um, of course, more rings. Of course, a better win percentage in the finals. Of course, more finals MVPs. Um, and then, you, you know, a lot of people say, well, Jordan had these great teams with Pippen and had he had all his help, you know. But, you know, when you really look at things, I mean, Pippen never averaged more than 19 points a game in the playoffs. You know, AD's averaging 28 points a game, you know. So <laughs> he weighed, I mean, he's aver- he had healthy averages in the playoffs. You know, LeBron has always put together these super teams and not to take anything away from his victory. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not being bitter at him. I love LeBron. I think he's one of the top, top, easily top five players of all time, you know? And I think the thing that takes away from LeBron when, when it comes to the argument of the goat is that, you know, what did you do against your peers throughout your career? And let's go down the list In the finals, Dirk beat him. Uh, Kevin Garnett beat him. Steph Curry beat him. And um, Tim Duncan beat him. And these are his peers. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you should you have to close out against your peers in these big championship finals if you want to be in that GOAT talk. You know, if you want to be in the top 10 talk, mm-hmm. you know, you can lose to your peers sometimes. But if you want to be in the greatest of all time talk, it's a complete package. A lot of people, you know, get it twisted and say it's stats, but it's a complete package. You got to have the mm-hmm. stats. You got to have the awards. You got to have the impact and you got to have the rings. Bill Russell just has the rings. He has good stats, but he doesn't have ghost stats, but he has the rings. He doesn't have the impact. Jordan has the impact. He has the rings. He has the stats. He's a complete package. He has a, you know, he's a complete package when it comes to that goat talk. And so that's where I'm at. With, you know, again, kudos to the Lakers. Great run. I don't really see anybody coming close to him unless they can form another super team, you know, or maybe Golden State gets back in the back in the swing of things to really uh to really challenge them. And that that's my take on it. Yeah. Okay, Coach. I mean, Coach, Coach, I, Coach, I, man, I, I think you make some great points, you know, relative to LeBron and and his and and the goat conversation. Now, obviously, we happy for him and respect the fact that he was able to pull off winning a championship, you know, in the bubble. I, I mean, I do think that the this championship will always be remembered as the 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 season that was finished in the bubble. So, I think there's always going to be a little bit of an asterisk there. Even though it's a championship, even though they're beating other NBA teams, I think we're all going to look back and 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 talk about you know the fact that they didn't have to fight that that road crowd sort of a thing. So this this one's this one and and if you're a LeBron hater, I mean there's some people out there that just just straight you know hate LeBron. If you're a LeBron hater, then you you gotta always bring up the fact that this was this championship was was won in that bubble setting. So. You know, but you know, so you're always gonna have that that hanging over this. But at the same time, I mean, me as a former coach and scout, I mean, I when I look at the greatest of all time, I kind of look at it, you know, one from the level of who's the greatest athlete player to do this, and then who was the most productive guy of all time. So to me, Michael Jordan, you know, would never be rivaled in what he did as far as how he did it. You know, the way he changed the game of basketball, the way he you know, won championships after leaving and and attempting to play baseball. I mean, he, you know, he showed us that, you know, he was absolutely the greatest basketball player ever to play. Now, but I would say LeBron, you know, there's there's something to be said about LeBron being the best overall athlete to ever do this. I mean, when it comes to size and strength and speed and, and ability to to do do different things at that size with handling the basketball, I mean, you know, 20 years ago, LeBron James's body is basically, you know, Carl Malone. You know what I mean? So LeBron is, you know, he would be one of the, if not the greatest physical specimen that we've ever seen do this, but clearly not the the GOAT when it comes to the game of basketball and the winning of championships. That That's always going to be Michael Jordan's Jordan's title to have. And, you know, but other than that, I mean, we we looking forward the Lakers are, are going to be a tough out because you've, you've got a team that's that has a secondary superstar, a guy who eventually is going to take over the number one role in that situation, and it's going to be tough. If LeBron can stay healthy, I can I can see these guys, you know, being right there in the mix of this thing for the next, you know, say three four seasons. Okay. Well. I mean, I, I agree. Points, um, great points on both sides. Moving I, forward, I, I would like I, before we move forward. I'll I like to interject this. You know, when you talk about stats and rings, Kareem has what five rings? 
mm-hmm. he's got all the stats. He's got mm-hmm. stats equivalent to LeBron's, and he's got five rings, and LeBron has four. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you want to make that argument, you can do that as well. If you want to talk about greatest athlete of all time when it comes to basketball, you know, if you don't say Wilt Chamberlain, even though he played in the era where he was physically way more dominant, you know, Wilt Chamberlain is is seven one. He's two hundred and what eighty pounds. When he filmed the movie with with um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they worked out pretty movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger said he's the strongest person he's ever worked out with. Yeah. I mean, I the guy's that. curling 200 pounds plus, you know. Um, and so, and then I did a lot of research on Wilt. I didn't know he was a sprint champion in high school. He ran a 10, 900 meters. Wilt mm. Chamberlain. Wow. wow. So, I mean, get dig deep in the world <laughs> if you ever get a chance. And then, and then go back on that LeBron James greatest athlete argument. No doubt LeBron James, you can make that argument. He's great. He's a better athlete than Michael Jordan. Michael mm-hmm. Jordan's is just a better basketball player. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. No doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. I I'm doing one of these today. Okay, Coach. Oh. Williams, uh, we're gonna talk. We, I want to talk to you about your football life and journey. Is anybody hearing wow. me on this? Yes, we can, can hear you. you. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you want. Here we go. I'm finally from here. You guys now. Um, so yeah, Coach Williams, please let's let's talk about your football life and your journey. Okay. Well, I'll um try to make this short and sweet as I can. But going back to my playing days, I, I'm originally from Mobile, Alabama, and Kurt is from a town very close to Mobile in Pensacola, Florida. And we we like to think that where we're from produces between Pensacola and that, that Panhandle Gulf Coast area produces some of the absolute best players that you possibly want to see at the high school level. You know, it's, it's, if you can play high school football in the Pensacola, Mobile, Gulf Coast area, you can just about play high school football anywhere. So my, my high school days were played in Mobile. I played at a, at a, at a McGill Tulin high school there in Mobile. And I ended up signing and going on to play my college ball at, at the University of Louisiana at Monroe. I was a fullback. I was a, I was a running back when I played in, in high school. I was a, converted to be a fullback, which is a blocking fullback in college. And, you know, and, and that, was, that was a great experience for me. Now, you know, I was not that type of guy who was going to move on into a pro career, but, you know, my college coaches always felt like I was a guy that, that would have a, a future in coaching, and they would always talk to me about, you know, getting into the coaching profession and the profession needs guys that care about people and that sort of thing. So I um, started off through some of those connections, coaching high school football in the state of Alabama. And, and, and from there, you know, and coaching is all about connections and who, you know, and all that stuff. And so I was able to get into arena football through another one of my college coaches who happened to know uh, Bobby Humphrey, who's actually the father of Martin Humphrey, who just, recently um, signed that big contract with the Baltimore Ravens. And so he gave me my first job as an assistant coach in arena football there in Birmingham, Alabama. Did that for a couple of years and got on the circuit of being an arena football guy and and bounced around to some different teams trying to climb the ladder to get to a head coaching spot and finally got a head coaching position in 2004 in Odessa, Texas, which is really a great, great football town and, you know, had a great 11-year run in that in that city and have been in Albuquerque, New Mexico, have been in 
in, in Green Bay, Wisconsin, where I live now. I've been in Dallas, Texas, through through the arena football leagues. And 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 after my last stint of arena football coaching, you know, I, I went into uh, the CFL as a scout with the Montreal Alouettes and did that, you know, for a little while. And, you know, my, my thing has always been about trying to help players. Arena football coaches are always trying to develop people, always trying to get guys to the next level. You know, we, we prided ourselves on getting guys to the NFL and, and, you know, if you, if you did numbers, you know, and to, to brag on ourselves and pat ourselves on the back, we felt like we did a really good job of helping guys be promoted and, and, and we're right there with some of the best coaches at that level of, of getting people looks in the, in the NFL. So we're able to get, make good contacts there and um, felt like we felt like we did what we wanted to do, which is all about helping players and helping guys develop. And, and I get a kick out of helping guys reach their goals. And so, you know, scouting, coaching in the arena league was all kind of the same. And, and here recently we've started up a, a new project here where we've, we've developed, you know, a partner and I have developed an, an HBCU uh, college football all-star game that we're going to be playing our first um, version of that coming up this May after the HBCUs play in the spring due to COVID. So, you know, sticking along the lines of, of always trying to create opportunities, you know, using our connections and the people that we've met in the pro game and then wanting to help people and reach back. And as we transition from coaching to, you know, kind of running our own business, I wanted to use that 20 years of experience and and use that as a way to still, you know, run a successful business, but at the same time, still always be guys that that stay on top of evaluating when it, evaluation when it comes to looking at players and then creating a stage and a and a platform for guys to to move up. So we'll we're gonna be making some some big announcements with that coming up here probably in the next three, four weeks and talking about what that's gonna be. But you know, that's that's basically my football journey. It goes from playing to coaching to scouting to to now doing a little bit of promotion. Are you there, Tracy? Absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for sharing. You know, we want to get to know you guys a little bit more. Of course. We're going to move this along. Thank you, Coach Williams. Really appreciate that. Uh, Coach Broussard, you have something that's pretty cool and interesting that you do and you're involved with as well, and we need to put a spotlight on your foundation. Can you can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I, I created a foundation that, um, well, let me let me give you the, the, the start of how things came together. So basically, I created a foundation to feed kids that are less fortunate in third world countries. And kind of the birth of that was I, I just took a trip for my birthday to uh, the Dominican Republic. And uh, while I was on my trip, you know, just pretty much browsing around, walking around the country, around the city that, that I was in at the time, you know, I just noticed a, a ridiculous amount of young children, you know, ages as low as three years old, walking, wandering around the streets um, with no parental guidance. So something just prompted me to Google, you know, what percentage of kids in Dominican Republic don't have parents. And the number was just ridiculous. So there was um, 80, what is it? Uh, 94% of homes in Dominican Republic don't have a father. 
and I believe it was um, 70% of homes, 70% of kids in Dominican Republic don't have parents. And some of the guys I was on the trip with, you know, I started to talk to them a, a bit about, you know, just the landscape of things with, you know, kids being uh, homeless. And they, they told me that they frequently visited an orphanage in, uh, in this town that we're in. And they would, you know, throw pizza parties for the kids and um, they would uh, just go and love on them and just be there for them. And and it was just sad. You know, I actually went to the orphanage with them and you saw just countless and countless of babies that were in baby cribs alone by themselves. You know, with uh, you had a few um, uh, volunteers that were volunteering at the orphanage that was there to primarily care for them. But, you know, when you got two people, you can't hold. 15 babies, you know, and I'm talking like six and seven month old babies that pretty much just stay in the crib all day. And the only time they're taken out of the crib is to feed them. And then they're put back in the crib and they're just laying there. And so, um, you know, there was another instance where I was just walking the streets and I encountered a, a four year old. I thought he was alone, but he, he was actually living with his two big brothers. And the other the other brother was maybe seven. And the oldest brother, I think he was 10. It was a family of three boys that were living on the streets by themselves. And a lot of those kids are snatched up by adult um, Haitians. And the kids are pretty much forced into a life of pickpocketing, uh, begging for change. And any money they collect, they have to come back and bring it to these, these older Haitian guys. And so just seeing the life that these kids were living... I just I just started to think, man, with the platform I have through football, there's some way I can uh, make an impact to feed some of these kids that are hungry, you know, because some of these kids, I mean, you buy them a you buy them a hamburger and it's like, wow, you know, it's a big deal to them. You give them you give them 50 peso, which is a dollar. It's like a huge deal to them, you know. And so I um, initially I started just going back to the orphanages and I would throw big pizza parties for the kids and play soccer with them and spend time with them. But then, like I said, I started to think about the platform I have through social media. Uh, how can I put the, put together a campaign to generate more revenue to help more people? And so now I'm, 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 I've embarked on a project now where I'm, I'm generating revenue. So if anyone wants to, you know, uh, contribute to help me feed these kids, I'm going to match whatever I, whatever I collect in donations. I'm going to match out of my own pocket. And my plan is I I pre-purchased right now pre-purchased 600 pounds of chicken because what prompted me with that idea is you know how we got in america we got the stimulus package and the stimulus package was 1200 you know per person or whatever i started researching what's the dominican republic's stimulus package what did those families get Mm -hmm. throughout this hard time and it was discovered that their government promised each family 20 pounds of chicken and like i think it was like 40 pounds of rice that was their that was their stimulus package and so then I started asking some Dominicans, you know, about it. And a lot of Dominicans never even received the chicken or the rice. And so it just made me think, OK, well, maybe that's something I can do. So I created a uh, I started reaching out to farmers that I knew in the area or friends that knew farmers. And I pre-purchased mm-hmm. uh, 600 pounds of chicken. And I'm probably going to purchase about 800 pounds of rice from a factory. And we're going to get it all bagged up into like 10 to 20 pound increments and bags. Mm-hmm. And we're going to load it up on a and we put it in coolers and I'm going to keep my social distance and keep my mask on 
but I have some other Dominicans that are going to volunteer to help me. And we're going to pass out chicken and rice all day until it's gone. And we're going to hit hopefully three different communities. And so, um, you know, I've, I found a great price where I can purchase the chicken at the best price direct from the farmer. And so at this point, I'm just my next trip down to make this happen is going to be November 2nd. And I'm going to stay down for about 10 days. And like I said, I want to hit I'm going down on business, but I'm also going to you know, make my contribution to uh, feed communities through through this campaign I've generated. So if people want to contribute, you know, you can find a campaign on GoFundMe. You can find it on my social media, uh, which is at Coach Kirk Broussard on Facebook, on Instagram. You can DM me. I'll send you the link or you can just go straight to GoFundMe and search Feed the Kids of DR and you'll you'll see it come up. Wow, absolutely awesome, incredible. Coach. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly feel so lucky to be here with the two of you. Wow, yeah. you both are very incredible. <laughs> have had some great journeys and you're doing such wonderful things and you're so passionate about it. And um, as you mentioned, we have it up on the screen as well where they can go. Plus, they, they, they follow us on all our social media. Both those links, everything is up there. So if you can contribute and help out Coach Broussard, yeah. that is more than well, welcome. It's just one of those things to where I've always I've always practiced. I've always believed in the philosophy that, you know, one day one day we all have to close our eyes. I mean, it's going to be an end, end of time for all of us. And then I'm a man of God. So I feel like one day you're going to get up there and God's going to ask you, you know, you know, you didn't live in a third world country. You live you live in a first world country and you had resources. So what did you do to help people while you were while you were down there? You know, I, I put you there to help people. What, what did you do to help somebody? And in my, mm-hmm. I want to help as many people as I can help before I close my eyes. So absolutely. that's where I'm at with it. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely incredible. Uh, okay. We're going to go on to our next topic right now. Uh, we're going to talk about Deion Sanders, uh, the 21st head coach at Jackson State uh, University, Coach Williams. I know um, you wanted to get in on this topic. I want to know, like, not only about him, taking on this job, but also the evolution when it comes to um, HBCU football. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll start out by saying that, that having having Dion go into an HBCU um, situation is going to be awesome for the entire platform of HBCU football. I mean, he, he brings attention to it. I mean, there's going to be national media that are going to want to watch him. There's going to be sponsorship support that's going to be putting dollars into not only Jackson State, but but locally this is going to create a buzz amongst other universities in their local areas. So I think just having a name like that, and we're not just talking about the, the best defensive back to ever play or the best cornerback to ever play. We're talking about a guy that, that also has, you know, one hell of a a personality that people have been watching on TV. So he's got a voice. I mean, the, the guy's got a voice. He's, he's got a, he's got a great football history and background. So he's got great knowledge of the game. And, you know, this is, this is going to be, you know, a situation where I think, you know, people are going to be excited in the beginning because of who he is, but then there comes the reality mm-hmm. piece of this. And when I'm talking to people about it, you know, they don't necessarily want to hear the reality part. I mean, the, the reality part is that, you know, we're all going to have to stay on this train. This is not going to be one of those situations where he walks in first college head coaching job, you know, and I can tell you as a, as a former head coach, I mean, there are things about being a head coach that you just do not know if you haven't had a chance until you have a chance to be a head coach. So there's going to be, you know, people pulling you in all kinds of different directions. 
you know, I always had to take care of fundraising and be at fundraisers and I've got radio shows and TV shows to do. And, you know, there's, there's always something going on from a management standpoint as the CEO of a team. And he's going to have to get used to that. But at the same time, the, the fans are going to have to be in this for the long haul. This, this can't be one that, you know, everybody's excited about in the beginning and they expect they're going to see championships won by Deion Sanders because, you know, he's he's going into a really good league. I mean, the the SWAC is a phenomenal football league. I mean, it is the top black college football conference, you know, in all of this country. And so there are going to be some coaches that that are, that are going to want to introduce Deion Sanders to, to what this is about. So they're going to have some say-so as to how quickly he's going to be able to win. But I think if people mm-hmm. stay with him, and and go through what inevitably is going to be that that tough journey from ground zero to actually winning. If people will stick with it and don't get bored with the story, then I think you this may be the beginning of something huge happening for for um, historically black colleges. Coach Broussard, I mean, he's saying here that it's not about publicity. It's not just about the folk. It's not just about football. It's about an opportunity. I think that's pretty much what we're all pretty like saying. Like you can't just be here because it's the name. They're saying it's, it's, it's a bigger picture to this. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I mean, he's Deion Sanders. He's got all the publicity he wants. He doesn't have to go accept a HBCU job to get publicity. You know, he just had every week on NFL Network or wherever he worked. You know, so that's definitely not the case. I think he genuinely wants to be a coach, wants to get into coaching. I think he genuinely wants to help HBCUs uh, elevate to the next level. Um, And I think, you know, as coach mentioned with his personality, you know, he has this outgoing personality that's going to captivate recruits and he's going to steal some recruits from Ole Miss and and Mississippi state. He's Mm going to steal some kids that normally would have went to those sec Mm -hmm. schools. He's going to get a few, you know, I did note, I, I noticed in the press conference, he talked about, doing things professional to a professional standard is what he expects out of Jackson States. And, you know, we all know that HBCUs have had a reputation for cutting corners, you know, when it comes to funding with their sports programs. You know, I've even heard stories of them getting money from shoe companies for their sports program and some of the money, all the money not getting to the athletic programs. Mm -hmm. So I think Dion's going to put a watchful eye over that. He's going to make sure the funds go into the program. I heard him talk about them upgrading their facilities to be on a on a next level type of, you know, something that would be attractive to 18 year old kids to come in and play in a nice facility. Uh, So, you know, my thing is one thing I kind of and I'm not sure if this is his final coaching staff. I noticed that he is kind of putting a mix of experienced college coaches around him with some NFL names as well. It looks like he has a decent balance. Looks like his coordinators are experienced college coaches and his mm-hmm. position coaches are ex NFL guys. And that's good. You know, I just the one thing I've all I was always warned about with my time in the NFL is that it's difficult sometimes for ex players to migrate into being mm-hmm. coaches on that level because of the amount of time that it requires on the college and NFL level. It requires a lot of time. In my time in Detroit. We, I got to the office at 4.30 in the morning. The players didn't get there till 8 o'clock. I was there at 4.30 every morning, and I didn't leave until midnight every day, every day. 
The players left at five o'clock. The players were there from eight to five. Uh-huh. And the coaches were out there all night. And a lot of mm-hmm. ex players, some ex players, they don't, they're not used to putting in that amount of hours. You know, they, they want to get into coaching, but when they see what it's all about, it's sometimes they don't like the, the time that it requires. And so I'm, I'm curious to see how that's going to work out because, you know, we all know just because you're a great player, it doesn't mean you have the ability to be a great coach. It's two, to, two totally different talents. And so uh, I want to see him succeed because I think it would be huge for the culture. I think it would be mm-hmm. hu- huge for the culture. So I'm I'm rooting for him, and I hope Jackson State gives him at least four years to to you know put his stamp down. Absolutely correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, good. This is going to be a good one to keep on for a head. Like it's not even a headline. It's just it's going to be a great story to see it evolve, um, yeah. and see how it uh, pans out. Okay, we're going to go there. We're going to recap Week Five NFL. I will like to say. That Thursday night game, Tampa. Uh, so the Bucks took on the Bears, <laughs> and I posted my picks for the week, gentlemen. But I didn't see yours. I went against Tampa Thursday. Oh and wow! Wow! Did you not love the message on that chat? I was like, yes, they won. The Bears won. Can you believe yeah. that game? Like. Yeah, Brady that was a close, was was a close game. Yeah. Wow. He will never forget that moment, that's for sure. The NFL um, is yeah, just... Yeah, Brady oh, return. The NFL is so unpredictable. It is unpredictable. Like, it's a crapshoot. It's not like college. You know, the SEC is kind of mm-hmm. getting like the NFL, but college, you know, you always got a huge talent gap there. But the NFL... It's so much parity. It's it's difficult to pick. It's a hard lead to pick. You know, I got to give you credit, yep. Tracy, for for picking that game. I mean, that was that was a risky pick, and you definitely came through on that one. I I would, you know, there's no way I thought that would happen, especially with you know Nick Foles getting his first start and all of that. But you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a different road here and and talk about it from a coaching's perspective when you're dealing with a a high profile veteran, you know, like Tom Brady, you know, and, and at the end, you know, they had a chance to get themselves into field goal position. Obviously, you know, there was, you know, some talk there of Brady not knowing what down it was. And I, I think that when you're dealing with a veteran guy, sometimes as a coach, you can, you can fall into the trap of just watching that guy play, you know, and kind of, and even though that guy's a quarterback and, he wants to take charge and he wants to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. be the leader of things. Sometimes it can put you in a position where you're kind of falling back and just watching him. And I think they got mm-hmm. caught in a situation where, you know, you know, there's an offensive coordinator, Byron Leftwich. You know, there's a head coach who's an offensive guy, you know, and Bruce Arians. Mm-hmm. There's no way between all of that communication that we can't know where we're at with down and distance, you know, but, at that same time, like I said, I mean, you can get into a situation where you, you know, hey, here's Brady's the goat. You know, we're in a goat type situation. Let's watch, let's sit back and watch the goat go to work. But you can't stop doing your job. You know, I mean, you, you still got to be in the mix of what's going on and in control of what's going on, and then keeping him, you know, reeled into what's going on. So I, I blame, you know, not only Brady, but also as much as I love Bruce Arians and as much as I love the the up and coming status of a guy like Byron Leftwich, 
they kind of failed Brady and the team on that one by by not you know making sure that they were in ultimate control of the situation instead of just sitting back and watching the goat go to work. So you know they'll, they'll, these are still things that you got to figure out by you know not having preseason and still having a chance to learn each other. But when, when those guys go to that meeting room, they'll they'll remember that that cannot happen again. You're saying because they didn't have preseason, but how many times are we going to use this as an excuse? Well, I mean, that's that's not necessarily the excuse that I'm using. I'm just saying that, you know, because they haven't seen very many situations mm-hmm. football-wise that, you know, now you can yeah. be in a regular season game and you're, and you're kind of in awe and you're watching the guy go to work. I mean, you you got to know better than that. So I think that, you know, if you had had those, those true clock-operating type situations – then at that point you would um you would know that we yeah. can't allow this to happen. So I'm not making an excuse. I'm just saying that you know mm-hmm. I can see why it happened and they better learn from it quickly. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that they definitely will coach for start. You know, um I mean it goes back to coaching, you know, obviously with Byron Leftwich being a minority um, in the coaching profession, I want to see him succeed. But I have to be honest, when he first acquired the that position, mm-hmm. I questioned was was he had he paid his dues to be in that position? Because when you look at his coaching resume, he wasn't a position coach for very long, maybe a year, maybe a, maybe a year or two. Was he was he ready to be an offensive coordinator? You know, mm-hmm. uh, I can appreciate the fact that he's he's getting that position, but I feel like it. I feel like that's a coaching. Like Coach said, the coach should have been more engaged in the game and not dependent on Brady. And um, you know, it was a close game. Every, like I said, all all games on that level are going to be really close games. And uh, you know, I, I think Tampa showed has shown everything that I want to see offensively to where I have the confidence. I, I can see they're probably going to be a playoff team. I feel good about that. And um, you know, it's just it's just it's just a loss. They'll bounce back. Brady's experience. He'll he'll corral them and get them ready for next week. Mm-hmm, that's for sure. Well, uh, my guys, the Giants, obviously, we were like this close, but we obviously we didn't win. It's um, it's a hard pill to swallow when you're heading when you're in week five and you still can't get a game to win. Let's talk about that big injury with the Dallas Cowboys during that game. Yeah, ankle injury. He went in for surgery. That, yeah, I watched. Uh, it. I watched that live. Like, yeah, that was that. That was hard to look at. Hard to look at. Um, yeah. You know, he was trying to make a play. He stiff armed a guy. Dak was trying to make mm-hmm. trying to make a play. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a guy that believes in you know putting your quarterback in in danger like that. As far as you know, allowing him to take off and run like that, I I don't think Dak had to run in that situation. I think he probably I know he's trying to trying to get the first down. You know, but you got to think about the long term. Yeah. Maybe getting rid of the football, living to play another day. Um, but you know what's Dallas going to look like without him? Um, I don't think they're going to look much different. I feel pretty decent about Andy Dalton. I think he's going to come in, come in and make some plays. I think he's going to be energized to really show that he still has some left in the tank. And uh, I think they're going to lean heavily on the run game. You know, behind Zeke, uh, they got a young kid that's that's a good number two behind Zeke. And uh, I think Dallas is still a playoff team without Dak. I would, okay. yeah, yeah. That's a good call, Coach. We'll we'll have well, to 
Well, they've drafted well. I mean, you look mm-hmm. at that team. You look at that team now, and you look at that team maybe before Will McClay got there. Man, <laughs> I got to compliment that guy. He mm-hmm. knows how to build a football team. Yeah. And I don't know Definitely. why he doesn't have the general manager title, which he should have it. But he's the one. He's the one making all those those selections. That's that's Will McClay's footprint, man. Mm-hmm. And I know that I know the Joneses take good care of him, so he isn't going anywhere. But man, yeah. Will Will McClay has been the mastermind behind the success of the Cowboys. Yeah, yep. yeah. Not just since you brought that up. I mean, not not as much talking about the game, but if you're just talking about Will, I mean, he's a you know one of those guys that learned the craft, you know, through the arena leagues and, and really learned scouting and really learned player evaluation and, and honed his craft and, and got that opportunity. Yeah. He, people don't give him enough credit. Clearly. I mean, he's a guy that both of us know, but he's doesn't get enough credit, but he definitely is, um, has put together a good team. Now, as far as Dak being out, I agree 100% with, with coach Broussard that, that Andy Dalton is going to be just fine running that team. And you could have made some arguments that, you know, that that guy, if they wanted to start him, you know, when Dak was going through the uh, contract stuff, they could have easily still been okay with Andy Dalton. So that's a good pickup by them too. But feel really sorry for Dak, man. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he has he took the ultimate chance and this the the worst thing that could have possibly happened has happened. And it's and he's gonna be the loser in this case because we and, and not necessarily financially, because you know, even if Dallas doesn't re-up him, I mean, someone else is going to pick up pick up Dak Prescott. But as far as being the entrenched starting quarterback at the Dallas Cowboys, this was the absolute worst thing that could have happened. And this this is going to be a soap opera watching watching how this thing plays out. Yeah, yeah I agree. Sure. Uh, Alex Smith, he makes uh, an inspirational return yesterday since what, November of 2018 when he had that life-threatening leg injury. He hit the field yeah. yesterday, Washington. Yeah. And uh, when they panned over to his wife and three children, and even though she had a mask on her face, you could still, you could feel everything that she was feeling at that moment, right? And she got up and she was applauding her husband. It was a beautiful moment. But wow, what an incredible story to come back what, two years after this huge injury. Um, what did you guys think? Um, good decision to come back because they could, I mean, you could get it another injury. The same thing could happen. Worth the risk. Coaches, do you think that when you come back from an injury like that, is it worth the risk to get back on that field? Because I get you're passionate about it. You love it. But reality is, what are your thoughts? Um, I feel you only live once and you have to do what makes you happy. And if that, if that makes them happy, then, you know, who are we on the outside to say it's not worth the risk? The risks, I feel like when it's, something's worth the risk, it, yeah. it, it depends on that person. That person decides their own risk. And obviously <laughs> to him, it's worth the risk. So it is worth it. Um, I'm more amazed that he's able to come back this fast. <laughs> I mean, that it just goes to show you where science and medicine has came because I'm not exactly sure – how his injury would compare to the severity of Joe Theismann. But you see Lawrence Taylor pretty much ended Joe Theismann's career with a horrific leg injury, you know, but Alex Smith pretty much arrivals the same uh, caliber of, you know, uh, leg injury and he's able to come back And today's medicine is just phenomenal. You know, the doctors did an amazing job and, 
and I'm just really happy to see him back in football. Yeah, coach is absolutely right. I mean, it's the risk, the whether or not it's worth it or not is all, you know, lies in the mind of the guy who's doing it. But you know, who who comes back from that? I mean, I mean, seventeen surgeries. I mean, that's an injury that we've we've seen that injury in some people's careers. I mean, so I mean, that is a testament to that guy and how bad he wants it. I mean, he clearly loves football and wants to play, and you know, and and he's done a really good job of of getting himself healthy. So he's a He's a feel-good story, and we we should all be pulling for him and and hope that um mm-hmm. that that thing holds up for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was uh, it was it was a great it's a great story. It's a great ending to his story, which I mean, obviously his story hasn't ended yet, but it was good to see him back on that field. And, and then, as I said, I'll say it again: to see his wife and his children there supporting him, it was such a sweet moment. Uh, now, yesterday I had um, a Thanksgiving get together. Well, I'll tell you what the topic was. We're talking about NFL recap for week five. Uncle Brett was not happy. He came in to dinner really upset, and he's upset with Howie Long. I've been trying to get him to clarify what he meant when Fox analyst Howie Long called um, Chase Claypool a star while pointing out that he came to the NFL via Canada which is an odd route to go. Hmm. I can understand how Uncle Brett would be upset at this. <laughs> I don't know what how he meant by this, but I'm almost like I feel offended. Why is it such an, <laughs> a, an odd route to go to get to NFL? Because he's not the only player to get there by that, being Canadian. Coaches. <laughs> I mean, first off, let's talk about Chase Claypool. Okay? Yeah. Um, but, yeah. We could, I want you to talk about him, and I want you to talk, explain to me what Howie may have meant by that comment. Well, I think he meant, um, <laughs> you know, how often do you see that route? How often do you see Canadians coming to the NFL and are, you know, yeah. having are playing at a star level performance? I mean, let's let's think mm-hmm. about it. how how often has that happened? So I wouldn't take it personal, Canada, uh, for all our Canadian listeners. I would not take that personal. I would take yeah. it as a compliment, actually. You know, the kid had a great day. I mean, had a great, had a yeah. great game. Yeah. I mean, it looks like, you know, they're playing him at receiver. They thought they had a tight end. But he's, he's playing as a receiver. He reminds me of DK Metcalf a little bit, just with his physique, you know. And so um, mm. they, you know, they potentially have a star player. Canadians should be proud of that. And uh, <laughs> I wouldn't take Howie's comments personal. He's just uh, maybe poking you okay. a little bit. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, well, hopefully well, we can did. ask we can ask him about that if we get him on the show. Yeah, let's hope that's the case. You know, I yeah, would, well, I would. yeah, and What'd you, we'll give yeah. him that opportunity, Coach Williams. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I, I go the other way because I think you know being a guy that spent a little time in the CFL, I mean, I would I would say you should take it personally because. I don't think I don't think a lot of people down here really understand, you know, first of all, Canadian Canadian, you know, young football players are being developed in Canada. And and the and the big thing is that when a when a kid can come from Canada and and play all of his youth football and developmental football in Canada, and then he gets a division one, you know, scholarship on the state side of the line, you know, that's that's that already proves that that guy is at a is at a high level. And that 
that has happened a lot. I think the first round draft pick of the Patriots last year, and I'm, I'm losing his name, but he's a wide receiver. He was a Canadian born kid that comes over and plays, plays, you know, college ball in the United States. And, and Claypool is a, is another one of those kids. So there's, there's a lot of those guys that are playing stateside college football. And, and, you know, that's something that people have to pay attention to. I mean, and these kids are, they're not just coming down here and playing division two II and division three. I mean, they're coming down here and they're playing in the sec. They're playing at Notre Dame like Chase Claypool did. So there's, you know, if you're going to be a football guy, you know, and I, and I would just, you know, just poke it at, at Howie here a little bit, but I'd say, you, you know, maybe that's not as odd today as it may have been, you know, say 30 years ago when he was playing because that developmental system is really starting to to improve and, and kids are really kicking out of there. And college coaches from up here at the D1 level are going across that line to recruit and sign some of these kids. So there's there's a there's a load of kids that are playing and there's a load of kids that, that are coming down with a lot of talent. Chase Claypool, you know, just specifically talking about him, physical specimen. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger loves him. Mike Tomlin loves him. You know, that's a guy that's got some tools that's, that's really going to be a, you know, he, he's going to give, you know, give them a, a, a great number two option. And he's going to be a really good receiver coming down the line. So he's an example of that. You know, these kids, when they come out of there, they, when they come down here, they, these are good athletes. Yep. Okay, big headline. Kansas City, they lose. Wow. Did anyone see this happening? Uh, finally, the Chiefs lose. Uh, they knocked Mahomes right off his pedestal yesterday, 40 to 32 for Vegas. Wow. Were you guys surprised about that? No? I mean, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, again, it's the NFL. Anything can happen. You always have to keep that yeah, in mind when you're watching an NFL game. But I mean, how about David Carr? He had the game of his life. I mean, he was he was mm-hmm. clicking on all cylinders. I think Chucky called a really good game in his play calling, really balanced game. And, uh, you know, if you go back and watch that game, there was a lot of plays mm-hmm. that could have been made that would have turned the course of the game where receivers drop balls right in their hands from, from uh, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he hit a number of receivers right mm-hmm. between the numbers and they dropped it or didn't get two feet down to complete the touchdown or, you know, he made some really good throws and didn't get the performance out of his, some of his receivers in certain situations that were important that could have changed the course of the game. So, but again, that's just, that's what it could have, should have, you know, but, you know, hats off to the Raiders. Uh, they showed some spunk, um, but uh, you know, Kansas city, they're going to, they're going to lose a few games this year. I mean, but they're still going to be right there in the hunt, you know, for that NFC. I mean, for the uh, AFC title and potentially be in the Super Bowl. So I wouldn't, if I were KC fans, I wouldn't panic. I wouldn't hit the panic button because it's not like the team looked bad. I mean, Mahomes looked great. The offense looked great. You know, they just didn't make a few plays that could change the course of a football game. Mm-hmm. Very true. Man, I hate to say anything good about yeah. Derek Carr. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I put my fans hat on. I mean, I'm, I'm just not much of a Derek Carr guy, you know. But, but watching what he did, you know, yesterday versus Kansas City, I mean, he, you know, he went to battle and he, you know, he, he was there for the fight, you know, and he wanted to be in that fight against uh, Patrick Mahomes. So, you know, take hats off to him. I mean, he led him to a victory. I mean, you know, um, 
Gruden, you know, put a great plan together for him. But, you know, like I say, coming out of coach mode and, and going into fan mode, I mean, it's just tough for me to cheer for Derek Carr. But yesterday, yesterday he looked like an elite guy that was ready to lead a team to some, to some winning. So, you know, we'll see how that goes from here. Well, question for, for coaches right now. There's been a and we don't have, there's a couple teams that have been rescheduled because of COVID. Team, they got the virus, they're sick, or they, they had to reschedule the game. So some of them are playing on Tuesday. Because Tuesday's game is what, is a Buffalo? It's Buffalo and uh, the Titans, I think, are playing on Tuesday. The question that's going around, and I thought that it was one that I wanted to discuss with you guys really quickly what are your thoughts? Should they reschedule the games or should they forfeit? Because now our, our NFL schedule is kind of all over the place. Coach yeah, I think Richard, you, what are your thoughts I, on that one? I think you have to reschedule them because it's going to cause a lot of confusion at the end of the season when you're trying to sort out your playoff teams. If you forfeited games and you got to, mm. you got to play those, you got to make those dates up if you can. And I think, so far, the NFL is doing a, a decent job of rescheduling the games. I mean, we knew this could potentially be an issue at pre, you know when we first decided to play a season. So hopefully, they had a plan, you know, at that point, and which it looks like they're executing that. Uh, but at this point, this is going to be the new normal. This is going to be something that we have to deal with mm-hmm. throughout the year. You know, you're going to have Tuesday games. You know, you're going to have makeup games you know you have to be extra careful if you get a positive test on the team you have to you know exhaust all get everyone tested and make sure you're playing as safely as possible so hats off to the nfl for for uh erring on the side of caution mm-hmm. yeah, the, the only thing i the only thing i would add to that is coach is exactly right i mean we've they, they knew what was coming down the pipe so they got to work with it so i don't see any reason to to forfeit any games but if we're just keeping it real you know from from my standpoint i mean the 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 teams have got to help this situation work you know i mean you you can't the players can't be you know hanging around in the parking lot in circles with no mask and you know going all different places around the city i mean the the teams have got to get control over some of these guys and and reel them in and, and let's, I mean we don't have a bubble in, in the NFL. I mean, so you you gotta play as closely to the to the rules as you possibly can, you know, so that we don't keep running into this stuff. And you know, but you know, that, that's just my take on it. I think in in-house, you know, there's there's some things that need to happen a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. Okay, uh coaches, let's talk about college football. Give me your recap. What was going on this week? What do I need to know? Coach Broussard, take it away. Uh, I mean, to recap the entire weekend, I mean, I mean, I can look, I can definitely give some insight on some of the games that stood out to me. And uh, obviously I wanted to see that Miami and Clemson game. I wanted to see if Miami was the real deal, like they had been saying, you know, and Clemson was going to be a really good measuring stick for that. And so, you know, we kind of saw how that, how that went. And then, you know, another game that stood out was, of course, mm-hmm. the Alabama and, and Ole Miss game. And uh, Coach mentioned to me, you know, pre-show about some of the uh, accusations from Coach Saban, you know, about Lane Kiffin possibly still <laughs> still, still in his signal. You know, and that to be honest with you, yeah. he's, he's had some type of, you know, 
allegations follow him wherever he's been. You know, so I, is mm-hmm. Saban, you know, over the top for making these allegations? I don't think so, because there's too there's been too many people that have said this type of stuff about Lane Kiffin for it not to be true. I mean, and so I I could see it. I could see him texting somebody in that Alabama football department, you know, asking questions. You know, I wouldn't put it past him. He did the same thing with Urban Meyer when he was at Tennessee against, you know, against Florida. You know, he's always had this type of uh, uh, uncertainty surround his, you know, his teams. So, you know, did it matter? Alabama still stumped him, but we've never seen Alabama give up 45 points, was it? We've never seen Alabama defense give, give up that many points, you know. And uh, I know Ole Miss has a good offense. You know, they they ran up they, – they, they put up some points against Florida, even though Florida struggled. But, you know, I just think it's one of those things. There's been so many Power 5 schools that have struggled defensively. I mean, look down the charts. Look at all the scores. Mm-hmm. Everybody's getting 30 and 40 put up on them. You know, so is it the modified practices that we experienced leading, leading up to the season? There wasn't as much contact, maybe. Uh, we didn't do a lot of tackling drills. You know, we had a lot of our, a lot of our meetings were Zoom meetings versus practices. You know, are we seeing a result of that? You know, and will the defensive will the defensive yeah. catch up? I mean, at some point, these these head coaches are going to get frustrated, and they're they're going to put pressure on their defense coordinators to get it together. So that's that's all I got on it. What do you got, coach? I mean, just just as far as Alabama, Ole Miss, I would quickly say that you know, you know, when Saban called it out, I hadn't thought about it, you know, as I was watching the game, but when he called it out after the game, you know, and and you know, he was saying like every call that we were making, you know, they had the perfect play to match the call, and and when you when you think of it like that, and it happened to the tune of them scoring, you know, forty plus points. I mean, they could, you could see that, and with Lane Kiffin's history, you could mm-hmm. see that that's. I don't think Saban would say that if he didn't have merit to say that. But if he if they were in the perfect call versus the defense every time the defense made an adjustment, then obviously I would mm-hmm. I would say something was going wrong there. But to me, the weekend um, I thought um you know we I thought we got to see the real Miami, and I thought we got to see the real Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I mean Tennessee was was one that you know everybody's thinking maybe turning the corner. You know Miami is a team that people are thinking of are ready to play again, and I felt like we saw the you know, versus Georgia and versus Clemson, you know, for the two of them, we saw the real deal kind of float to the top. So those those are my takeouts from that. But otherwise, really good football weekend. I mean, Tennessee is improved. Yeah, really they good. are. Definitely. They're, they're definitely improved. Yeah. Um, you know, as a Florida fan, we got to play them. It, it's, it concerns me. I think they're going to give us a good game because, I mean, as you saw, if you watch the Texas mm-hmm. and Florida game, Florida's defense can't stop anybody. I mean, it is, it is bad, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so uh, they got to get that fixed. I mean, if you watch that that Florida Texas A and M game, Florida was going down on a winning winning mm-hmm. drive, which they couldn't floor, stop Florida's offense all day, and then Florida fumbles around the fifty mm-hmm. yard line, and then mm-hmm. Texas A and M gets the ball, drives down twenty yards, and kicks a field goal. You know, so it's uh, mm-hmm. I think I think at the end of the day, we're gonna see. A potentially a two loss SEC team getting to the playoffs mm-hmm. because yeah. the way this, the schedule has been revamped to where it's just a full SEC schedule, mm-hmm. you know, that's like an NFL schedule, 
you know, you, you're going to have, you might have a two loss mm-hmm. team get into the college football playoff. So just be prepared yeah. for that. Yep. Okay. All right. So tonight, I want to know, I want two things from you guys. Ready? Tonight, who do you think is going to win? Chargers or the Saints? And who is your game ball going to for week five? I mean, I can start. I have no problem since I'm usually right. You go first. Uh, I'm going to go, go with the, the Saints. I'm going with the Saints tonight for the win. And my game ball is going to Derek Carr. One of uh, I know is one of your favorites. Obviously, for obvious reasons, he uh, was he was a star. He totally took Mahomes for a ride, and I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I gotta say. Coach Broussard, what, 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 what do you say? I'll, I'll, I'll let Coach go. I'll let Coach go first. You get uh, that. Uh, uh, oh, okay. I, I don't. I don't agree with your game ball, so I'm gonna say that out of the gate. <laughs> no, my, my game ball. <laughs> I gave my game ball to um, Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, he's got a he's got a four zero team that was a, a really good, convincing win that they had this weekend against the Eagles. I felt like they, um, I felt like mm-hmm. you know he's quietly gonna gonna put himself in a position where we may be looking at another Super Bowl year for him. So, really thought he played an outstanding game as far as the game ball goes, and as far as tonight goes with the Saints. I mean, I'm a I'm a Saints fan. Have always been. And and right now I, I'm not a believer in Justin Herbert. I'm not a believer in the Chargers right now. So I think we'll see Alvin Kamara have a, a really good night. And I think we'll see Drew Brees, you know, you know, show us, you know, the old Drew Brees tonight on, on a Monday night stage. So look for that and that's where I'm at. And uh Okay, Coach Broussard. You're I, up. I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna go Saints as well this for tonight's game. Or for um, this week's game, I'm gonna go Saints because I'm not a Justin Herbert believer mm-hmm. either. I think he's just, you know, I mean, he's just a guy that was a really good college player that was kind of thrown in there. No one had a game plan for him. Mm-hmm. Made some splash plays, you know, got some media attention. Uh, mm-hmm. But him being a rookie against Drew Brees. Uh, the Saints have probably been hard at it to reevaluate their start so they can correct a lot of their mistakes. So I think, I think the Saints are going to come out firing on all cylinders. Uh, game ball, that's a tough one. Um, I think I think I'm going to go outside the box. I'm going to give it to uh, Fitzpatrick, the quarterback from uh, from the Dolphins. Uh, he was on fire. He had a Dolphins good game. Dolphins did play yeah. good. Yeah, I'm going to give it to mm. Fitzpatrick, yeah. And so, um, just so we know, just to clarify, I did pick the Dolphins for a win for week five. I, I did not expect them to beat the 49ers. That was, I mean, no one did, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, I did. Yeah, there you go. I mean, the 49ers <laughs> got some. I'm going to keep saying it. What made you pick, what made you pick the Dolphins? I. I just had this gut feeling that they were going to do it because it was about time. But then again, I also thought the Giants were going to bring it. They brought it. They just didn't finish. Yeah. So uh, Miami, I just I had a feeling that they were going to do it. They wanted it, mm-hmm. and they won. Hmm. Yeah, but, I mean, the 49ers, were, they were a Super Bowl team last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, you just really thought, okay. My thing was yeah, – But I it's just, 2020, I, the new I season. Thought, I thought it would be a close game, but I thought San Francisco would win. 
uh, with Kyle Shanahan's play calling. I thought that would be the difference in the game. Uh, I also yeah. thought that with the 49ers having a lot of defensive linemen out right now, they're kind of banged up along the defensive line. I thought that would give Miami that edge to be able to put up some points, which they did. But I just didn't expect, you know, San Francisco to only give you 17 points. So, uh, yeah, I'm super shocked yeah. that Miami pulled it out. I'm happy Miami pulled it out because that coach, really, that head coach, he really needed to get a win. So uh, mm. I'm super excited for that. So hopefully they can keep it going. But I give my game ball to cool. Fitzpatrick. Sounds good. Well, gentlemen, thank you again for another episode of Play Callers Podcast. And everybody, make sure you go to our Facebook page. Check out our social media. Make sure you follow us. And don't forget Coach Broussard's foundation. He Go help him out. Go to the GoFundMe page. Guys, I hope you have a great Monday. And I look forward to uh, talking to you about next week's headline. Awesome. Have a good week. Awesome. God, God bless. See you guys. All right. See you.